You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In an Olympics where it felt like absolutely nothing could be sure, the one thing that you knew you could rely on was Simone Biles. In fact, yesterday hosting SportsCenter on Snapchat, I made the joke that while everything else may be falling apart, the one thing you know is that even on an off night, Simone Biles can still kick everybody's butt. Today was finally a breaking point for one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen, one of the greatest athletes we ever will see, and the impact has absolutely shocked all of us that are watching the Olympics from afar. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. The ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we start, start Sarah, right away with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It feels like the one pillar that we all leaned on and thought, okay, you know, as weird as this Olympics has been with Team USA losing their opening game and uh, the U.S. women's national soccer team losing their opening game, through all of the chaos that we felt at different times, the one thing that you could look at and say, hey, I know this. This is going to work out with Simone Biles. And even in the first night, when it may not have been the precise version of her that we're used to, I think a lot of us presumed that tonight we'd be watching replays of her rise to greatness and the American women's gymnastics team winning a gold medal behind her absolute star-studded performance. Instead, after one event, she pulls out for mental health reasons. And Sarah, this is such a reminder that the burden on these athletes that are there in Tokyo trying to get through the Olympics is absolutely staggering. It's crushing. And at some point you have to look at everybody and say, man, we've got to find a better way to support these play these athletes. Yeah. We had a really interesting conversation about this on around the horn today. And one of the things Bomani mentioned was for as much as we are now accepting more so, uh, Conversations about mental health, uh, we can both acknowledge and not judge those people who get caught up in all of the stressors and pressures of the moment. We cannot judge them while also commending those who manage to push through all of that. And I agree with him. But I also think what's interesting to note is there are people whose natural mental health and body chemistry allows them to approach incredibly stressful situations and not have to work that hard to make it through. And then there are people just through no fault of their own because of either the way they were born or potentially traumas that they experienced will face the same stressful situation and find it almost impossible to get through. To acknowledge those two differences and that no one is at fault for either is the first step to being able to look at these things in a more humane way, which is not something we often do in sports, whether that's Ben Simmons and his inability to shoot free throws or Simone Biles today. I think we could start Fitz by acknowledging we're all disappointed, right? We really wanted to see her. But then actually dig into the facts. And I think listening to what she had to say about it, which was both I needed to protect myself from injury because the things that I was doing could not be done if I was not mentally there. And I also needed to protect my team from hurting their chances because that first one vault that she competed was a terrible score, not just for her, but for anyone. And she set her team back with that. She thought to herself, if I'm going to, compete like this the rest of the day because I'm not there because I'm having anxiety or potentially a panic attack, which is what it sounded like, which talked about her uncontrollable shaking between the early morning workout and the later perform uh, competition. Then I'm going to remove myself and give them a chance to compete without me holding them down. Uh, here's a little bit of what she had to say after today's silver medal winning team performance. If you could sort of tell us, was there any injury? That, that was one thing we wanted to know. And if you can elaborate on maybe the stress you've been feeling. We all know when you're in the spotlight, uh, we right. can imagine what it's like. No, um, no injury, thankfully. And that's why I took a 
step back because I didn't want to do something silly out there and get injured. So I thought it was best if these girls took over and did the rest of the job, which they absolutely did. They're Olympic silver medalists now, and they should be really proud of themselves for how well they did last minute having to go in. Um, and it's been really stressful, this Olympic Games, I think, just as a whole, um, not having an audience. There are a lot of different variables going into it. It's been a long week. It's been a long Olympic process. It's been a long year. Um, so just a lot of different variables. And I think we're just a little bit too stressed out. Um, but we should be out here having fun. And sometimes that's not the case. Strong statements from Simone. And Sarah, you know, I've always... I've always been very transparent when it comes to mental health. It's something that uh, bothers. Uh, it's something my family deals with a lot. It's something I deal with a lot. And it's it's interesting to me because I look at it and compartmentalization is something that they talk about with people with uh, a lot of issues in general, which is, you know, I have a, a great ability to essentially shut everything off, put blinders on and stay right in one moment. And as long as I stay right in that one moment, everything else doesn't affect me. I, I, that's a, something I'm good at doing. The problem is by doing that for a long time, eventually I'll have a day where I wake up and all of it just sort of boils over. And, and that happens for a lot of people when they don't deal with their problems. But for many people, it compounds and you put yourself in that situation. And all of a sudden, like you mentioned, panic attacks and you know the inability to sort of focus, this all comes and it happens. And, and when you start talking about that moment for an athlete that's been so good at compartmentalizing and been so good at really focusing on, hey, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm here and this is the responsibility that I have for gymnastics, for myself, for this country, for the marketing campaign behind NBC. I mean, when you start to actually just make a list of everything that's on her shoulders, the concept that she would, would have this moment to me is it's sad and it's unfortunate, but I also look at it and say it feels very human. And I, I think we have to remember this. I, I feel like I'm saying this every month right now throughout the calendar year, but we have to remember that the people that are were watching on that little TV are human beings. She she had a human moment, which I think is is such a it's it's an unfortunate moment for her to have in Tokyo, but it to me it's also a really strong moment for her to stand up and say, "Hey, this is something I'm dealing with." It's yet again there's a learning opportunity for all of us. I completely agree, Fitz, and I think also again a lot of people or those who might be want to criticize her are probably not fully addressing the situation that she's in. That includes beyond the expectations of being the goat, many of which she you know, puts upon herself by having Goldie the Goat on her apparel and everything else. But truth be told, she could do absolutely nothing at this Olympics and she'd still be the goat. So it's not like she's tempting fate with any proclamations about how good she is. It's already been made clear how good she is. But, you know, you've got the pressure of that and the pressure of trying to complete these moves that aren't even being scored correctly and are almost being criticized by the very federation uh, for which she's completing them. Then you add in the delay of the Olympics, the COVID protocols, the safety concerns, the lack of friends and family and support within Tokyo. And then the final one, which not everyone is addressing, and that is that she is the only remaining victim of Larry Nasser on this team. And she spoke out and said definitively and clearly that part of the reason she extended her career and wanted to compete is that she felt it was too easy for USA Gymnastics to sweep that under the rug and pretend like everything was fixed. If she wasn't around to use her voice to remind them and to protect and take care of the younger athletes and gymnasts coming up. That is a massive expectation. She realized the power of her voice when she tweeted about the U.S. Gymnastics Center and how it should be closed because it was the location uh, run by the Crowleys for much of Nasser's abuse. Three days later, 
USA Gymnastics no longer works out there. She tweets about members of the USA Gymnastics Federation that enabled and helped the behaviors of Larry Nassar. They stepped down days later. She understood the power that she had and she started using it more often. And with that comes a lot of criticism and pressure and understanding that you have a lot more to owe the sport and maybe the country than just how great you are. Add that all up. And it's remarkable that she hasn't already struggled with some of the things we've seen at the trials, in the qualifying, and then again today. I continue to look at all of this and say the one thing we know is that Simone Biles, as you mentioned, is already was already the GOAT coming into this. Uh, and I feel like the love is going to continue to grow uh, through all of this. And yet again, she's having difficult conversations about everything that she's going through, which provides opportunity for more people to feel safe to have the same conversations. There's still power. Yeah, and she thanked make- Osaka for that. She actually yeah. said today in some of the comments that she was thankful that Naomi Osaka had gone public to talk about it. it made her feel more comfortable coming out and saying that what was going on today was something that just wasn't tenable for competition. I, 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 quickly, before we move on, I will say, too, that this is yet another reminder that we've got to make sure we're putting systems in place that health ap- help athletes at all levels deal with the mental uh, health that comes with what they do. That's some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no compromise. We'll keep breaking that down, plus everything else you need to know from the Olympics. But also, it was a massive day of training camp reporting across the landscape in the NFL. We'll get you a ton of different NFL news and notes with some NFL quickies coming up next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Bain and Fitz podcast. Bain Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. In about 10 minutes, we're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline and get you some more Olympic expertise. ESPN Radio, by the way, presented by Progressive Insurance. Saving you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Just visit Progressive.com. In the meantime... So much NFL news going in. We're doing a special thing. We're not just getting you the NFL news. We're not just getting you quickies. We're combining it all for NFL quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, Sarah, we got a lot to get to, and it starts with the Washington football team where Coach Ron Rivera said he's, quote, beyond frustrated with his players' lower vaccination rate and is worried about the potential impact it will have on the team. Rivera did say more than 50% of the players have been vaccinated as they reported to training camp Tuesday, but, quote, we're not where we want to be. Quote, with the new variant, who knows? When I'm in a group and the group's not vaccinated or there's a mixture, I put the mask on and I do that for health reasons because nobody really knows. I have to do that, and I just wish and I hope our guys can understand that. Let's remember Rivera was diagnosed with skin cancer last August and had to fight that, Sarah. So uh, absolutely staggering to me to see that of all the teams, I would have thought the Washington football team would have had their heads on this one. I think we do. We have sound of uh, of, of of Rivera. I, I am. I'm, I'm truly frustrated. I, I, I'm, I'm beyond frustrated. You know, uh, and part of it is and the reason I walked in with the mask on is you know I'm I'm immune deficient. Okay, so with this new variant who knows so when i'm in a group and 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 the group's not vaccinated or there's mixture i put the mask on um and i do that you know for health reasons uh because nobody really knows and so i'm you know i i I have to do that and i just wish and i hope that our guys can understand that so if it's it's easy to be mad and and in a lot of ways i am but it also makes me wonder If you're willing to not take this step that every expert and scientist tells you, even in the face of your coach, someone who just fought through cancer, who is at extra risk 
for being gravely affected if you were to get the virus, then there's got to be truly a belief that it's not just, you know, I don't feel like getting it or everybody else can get it and then that'll be enough. So I I would be bringing in experts, and I'm sure they already have, but I would really want to educate these people so that they understand the risks they're putting themselves and others like their coach at, because it's it's unforgivable, really, to look someone like Ron Rivera in the eye and expect him to understand my personal choice is just not to get it because I saw a YouTube video about it. Especially with so many of the players in that locker room watching him go through treatments last year, I, I just... It, it, this is one that I really thought would be buttoned up. I didn't think Washington would have any issues with mm. it. Uh, let's move on to the next story. Quickies. There we go. I needed the sensual voice for it. All right, the sensual voice uh, will tell us also that Packers fans can take us a collective sigh of relief. Aaron Rodgers uh, has verbally agreed to the terms. We know he's headed back, but apparently the part of that was you know bringing in help for him, and that looks like it's coming in the form of bringing back receiver Randall Cobb. So it uh, looks like they're on the verge of reacquiring him. And a source says Cobb expects to be back with his old team once the final details of a trade with Houston are completed. He's 31 years old. Is this the, the wide receiver that suddenly makes us say, oh, I see why he's happy now? No, no, of course not. I mean, it helps a little bit. They re they rejiggered his account so that they can, his contract, so that they can have a bit more cap space to work with. But it's not going to get Adams long term if, if Aaron isn't around. And Cobb isn't a, a big enough answer to the other ways that they haven't properly uh, handled personnel on this team. You know, Dan Rolovsky was on Get Up today, and I know we talked a lot about Rodgers yesterday and how both of us felt like these concessions were not enough to solve the initial problem was Rodgers not feeling respected and communicated with by the team. And and Dan Rolovsky sort of, uh, let's just play you what he first said about how this is a huge win for the Packers. They're simultaneously having their young quarterback that he drafted in the first round be groomed without telling Aaron Rodgers. They get to keep him on the sideline while he learns but also we've got a Super Bowl caliber roster and we keep the MVP of the NFL who was unhappy up until two days ago. We get to have both of those. I mean, it's a huge win for the Packers front office and Brian Gutekunst. Guess what? You already had both of those, right? The only reason you were maybe not going to have them is because of how poorly you had handled yet another draft and a lack of communication with your Hall of Fame quarterback, which is something that Dan seems to understand a little later in the show when he says this. They're a championship roster. They're no longer a championship team. And there's a big difference. This is still a very talented football team, but the distraction of this whole offseason, and this is going to continue to be a distraction. I mean, think about being in that building and this football team starting 0-2 or 1-3 or going through a two-game losing streak. The eggshells that they're going to be walking around and going, okay, is the quarterback ticked off? Like, that is going to be an issue week after week, and that's why I don't think that they are a championship football team. Right. So, yeah, that's the point. Fitz, I guess you could you could clap for the Packers getting him back to camp and figuring out some way to make it work for at least one more year. But what is he coming back to in terms of relationship with his teammates, the front office, the staff, the fans, etc.? And you didn't need to do this. So you're getting clapped on the back for fixing something that you caused. This is not to go after Dan Orlovsky. I love Dan. It's just I don't understand the people who are really uh, still criticizing Rodgers or overly congratulating the Packers for something that they created. This was the problem that they made that they just kind of fixed. 
And if the locker room issue is going to be something that in Dan's mind as a former locker room guy, like if that's enough to keep them from being a Super Bowl winning team, a championship team, when they're in their window with Aaron Rodgers, then shame on them for creating that culture. I mean, that at some point, that's the ultimate the, the ultimate test here for the Packers is can they win a Super Bowl? And we all believed that the only way they could do that this year is with Aaron Rodgers. So if the distrust in the relationship is enough to prevent them from doing that and the Packers front office created that, then no matter what they've done to smooth it over, if the damage is already done and it prevents them from winning a Super Bowl, history needs to remember that. So I'm with you. We all love Dan on this show, but I think he might, uh, he might be giving a little bit of both sides on that one. Let's, uh, let's keep it going with the next story. Quickies. All right, we'll move to some COVID news that's interesting here. Is Vikings assistant coach Rick Dennison now has a new role. So remember, Dennison had been an offensive line coach. He's now an offensive quality control coach. He's an offensive advisor. So uh, at first, reports were that he had been let go because he refused to become vaccinated. And as a result of not being vaccinated, he can't work with different players in different situations. So he is was removed from his role, but now the Vikings have remained in contact with him and they've decided to find a way to keep him within the organization. He just won't be actively around players. So it feels like a little bit of chasing their tail on this one, sir. Yeah. I mean, if you can't be in meetings and you can't be in any of the outdoor practices, I guess you're doing your best to somehow keep someone on staff, despite them making a decision that prevents them from being particularly useful. Um, I, I get the feeling there's going to be more to this story. Perhaps this is a belief that he will eventually make the decision to get vaccinated and be able to be more part of the team. Uh, and they're giving him a little bit more time for that, we'll see. And in my experience, a lot of times offensive advisors are guys that are advanced scouting opponents for weeks away from now, so maybe they're just going to let him sit at home and mm. do that. I don't know. It's interesting to see how they intend to move forward. One more for you on the quickies front, Quickie. and it comes from Bruce Arians. He's re- he's angry because of reporting around wristbands that players were wearing in practice. Remember, they have to wear different colored wristbands in that situation depending on well, whether they are. that's what they've own- chosen to do. Yeah, that's what yeah. that team's chosen. That, so that's the, the team policy, but there was some reporting about uh, how the wristbands were going down, and this is Bruce Arians talking about that. Red and yellow bands. They don't have to wear them in practice. That's for indoors. I got a really we should be fine for red and yellow bands because they ain't got them on the practice. That if you're going to report, make sure it's right. He's angry, I- sir. Yeah, I also like it, the, if you if the sound continued on, he says that, and then he like without taking a breath, he goes, "I thought practice was good. Uh, I think some of our guys." And you're just like, "Okay, he just really needed to get that out." Yeah, and remember that to the point you were making, the wristbands are for indoors only. Reporters were watching outdoors. Also, a reminder how much communication is still happening right now through all of it. All right, we'll keep you updated. But coming up, we're going to bring in an Olympic great to get the thoughts on Simone Biles next. Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Tuesday. Spain and Fitz here with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to be joined by someone who has a whole lot of experience dealing with what the Olympic gymnasts and the rest of the Olympians out in Tokyo are dealing with. Seven-time Olympic medalist in the gymnastics, Shannon Miller. Shannon, thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, it's... It's incredible to look back at the times we've watched you and some of the other, uh, the Magnificent Seven, the Fierce Five, all the different groups of, of, Olympic, uh, of Olympic gymnasts. But it was never a gimme until the last few Olympics for the U.S. to win gold. 
Should we be a little bit more excited about the silver medal won today by those gymnasts that remain before we even get to Biles? I feel like they're not getting their due for what they did today. <laughs> I agree. I am a big advocate of being so excited and so proud of these athletes that even just became Olympians. I mean, this is right. an amazing thing. They're they're the best of the best. And to go out and win a silver medal, especially with some adversity along the way, it, it really is incredible. And these athletes really should be um, celebrated for what they did today. Shannon, do you remember any specific moment for you where it really set in the pressure of the moment that you were in being at the Olympics and knowing what everybody expected from those teams? There was. I think, you know, I, I think there were several times throughout my career and I was very uh, thankful to have people around me that really reminded me that, hey, gymnastics is for fun. This is not life and your, uh, you know, your your person doesn't have anything to do with how many medals you have. But uh, after I, <laughs> I was competing at the 96 Olympics, we started off with, with this great gold medal for the women's team. I stumbled a little bit in the all around and I landed right on my backside during the vault final. I mean, just black. And I remember speaking to my mom that night. I had one event coming back up. I had balance beam, the most feared event <laughs> for gymnasts. And I remember her stopping at one point and saying, hey, you've done the work. You have done the routines. You've done the other competitions. You've done everything you could possibly do up to this point to get it right. You can hold your head high, confident in the fact that you've done the work. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But you can always be proud of the fact that you did the work. And I think that released the pressure for me. So I went into the balance beam final, just ready to enjoy the moment. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Shannon Miller, incredible former Olympic gymnast, uh, the only female athlete in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, inducted twice as an individual Mm. and part of a team. You know, one of the things that we've always sort of associated with Olympic gymnastics or elite gymnastics is the hardline stance from coaches, is the sort of severe approach. And one of the things I loved hearing about from Simone Biles when she opened up her own gym and was able to approach the sport differently in recent years was that it seemed more fun and that the the women who got to go compete with her and girls got to compete with her were approaching it a bit differently. Are you surprised at all about what she said today about it just we're not having enough fun? Um, I think those are probably two different things, and and probably there's different pressures along the way, and and every individual athlete is different, and every coach is different, and you know I think it's important that we know there's some great coaches out there. I mean, I feel like I had a really positive experience. Not that every day was a piece of cake, but I had a really good experience. And I think there are many athletes that do. And unfortunately, not every athlete does. And we want to make it that way. But that doesn't mean that there's no pressure, especially with someone like Simone Biles that has so many high expectations going into the games. Uh, when you're, you know, you refer to as the GOAT, when you <laughs> when you mm-hmm. have all eyes on you. And I think um, I, I probably got to compete in a day where, you know, there wasn't social media. Uh, it was a long time ago. They barely had Internet. So right. you didn't get the, the 24-7 messaging that, uh, hey, we're all counting on you. And so I think that does kind of play a part over time. And, and it's hard to tune that out. It's, it's a challenge. Shannon, anytime we see a team with somebody that's a superstar, a great, a household name, uh, we realize that that's the person that really carries that team. Give me your impressions of the rest of the women's team and how they came through in this moment after Simone had to withdraw. 
Well, I just I can't say enough uh, great things about this team. Uh, the entire team is incredible. And to have someone on your team, a teammate, um, especially someone like Simone Biles, who is who's kind of set to carry the team, withdraw and withdraw at the beginning and the early stages of a competition. All of a sudden, athletes are going to be thrust into the uh, to the lineup that we're not necessarily expecting to compete that night. So they may or may not have warmed up those events. They have likely prepared. I mean, they all train all the events, but it's it's something where you've got to step up, and these girls did. Uh, Sunisa Lee <laughs> stepped up in a big way. Jordan Childs, Grace McCallum, every one of them went out, and they fought and competed their heart out, and they absolutely won that silver medal. Shannon Miller, part of that 96 Magnificent Seven, helping the U.S. win their first ever team gold uh, and capturing gold on the balance beam there, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You know, I heard um, Ali Raisman today this morning talking about um, sort of losing yourself in the air or getting lost in the air and how it's not that uncommon. It's something that gymnasts talk about. But it has been rare to see Simone Biles um, have those those little slip ups. We did see it at the trials and we saw it in qualifying. So were those signs that maybe we ignored because she is so great that we figured, well, she'll put it together when it really matters. Well, I think, you know, Simone knows herself and and her coaches know her daily training better than anyone else. So really they're in charge of kind of uh, all of that, but it's absolutely true. I don't know that there's any gymnast out there, whatever level you are, that hasn't been through what we call a mental block or losing themselves in, in the middle of a twist or a skill. What's very good about this situation is Simone understood and knew that this is dangerous and that if she's not in the right headspace to perform these extremely, some of the most difficult moves in the entire world, flying 10, 15 (laughs) feet above the ground, you better know where you are or disaster is going to happen. And to have the wherewithal to say, you know what, this is not going to happen tonight. This is not a good place for me to be. Um, I think that's a really important thing to have that uh, that body awareness. At the same time, Shannon, you never forget sort of your last moments for any of us in a career, right? So, you know, for all that she's accomplished, this is still going to be in Simone's head moving forward. Like, what's next for her in your mind? Well, I think at this point, uh, what you have to do as an athlete is clear your mind. Stop worrying about what other people think. And I know that's so hard to do because we all care. We all want to do well. We want to represent our country well. And uh, we want to hit our teams that we've trained thousands, if not millions of times. But you really have to clear your head and say, okay, it doesn't matter what happened. I can think about that later. It's what happens next that matters most. And that is kind of that whole idea of getting back up after a fall or a mistake. And it's something we do over and over as a gymnast. I think oftentimes we think of those gold medal moments, but we forget about the thousands of times that we fell and failed along the way. Shannon Miller's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, somebody said to me on social media earlier today, seems like it'd be pretty short if she was gone for a day or two and then came back to compete as an individual. And as I thought about it, I said, first, of course, not if you're well-versed in mental health and how it can manifest itself, it can come and go, but also the weight off of her shoulders after this. She's sort of lost perfection. 
and not in a bad way. It's just any idea that she might show up and be the best at everything all the time is already gone. And maybe it's easier to go have some fun now because any mistake she might make would affect her and not take down the larger team, which was a huge reason that she decided to pull out of today's competition was in case she wasn't able to do what she needed to do. She didn't want to affect the rest of the team. Do you see that as a possibility that she can approach this very differently now after today's events? Well, I always have trouble hypothesizing, especially right. in someone Fair else's right. uh, world and their situation. But but from my own experience, yes, the team competition is the main event. That is where people are relying on you. You're going out there. You are part of a team. You're not competing just for yourself. And, and so that is that added pressure of, man, if I'm going to fall, please don't let it be during the team competition. And, uh, and so there is something to be said for maybe some of that pressure being uh, released to where she can go into individual events. And as you said, um, it, it's, it's really just kind of her. And if, and if she does well, great. And if she doesn't, no problem. It's, if she's not affecting uh, a larger team. And so maybe that will help and just kind of release that pressure. I, for one, hope that, well, one, that she does what's best for her. Um, but that being said, I hope that she is able to uh, come back to the competition on her own terms and be able yeah. to compete because I know that she'll want to remember that. I agree. Hey, Shannon, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate it. And thanks for all the entertainment. Uh, we, we all really, really, really uh, got a lot of good times out of watching you dominate. We appreciate it. <laughs> Total honor to talk to you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Shannon Miller, the great Shannon Miller with us here on Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Oh, my. Fitz, were you as into gymnastics back in the day? I mean, I was glued. Yeah, the Olympics have been like such a huge thing for so yeah. long. Those teams, like, yeah, no, that, 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 one's, that was spectacular. Good, Shannon good Miller. work by by Team Spain and Fitz and Stosh and everybody getting Shannon on here. Getting that, getting that. Hey, speaking of the Olympics, uh, someone tried to bite someone today at the Olympics. We'll get into (laughs) it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy Tuesday. Spain and Fitz here with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to be joined by someone who has a whole lot of experience dealing with what the Olympic gymnasts and the rest of the Olympians out in Tokyo are dealing with seven-time Olympic medalist in the gymnastics, Shannon Miller. Shannon, thanks so much for the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, it's it's incredible to look back at the times we've watched you and some of the other, uh, the Magnificent Seven, the Fierce Five, all the different groups of, of Olympic uh, of Olympic gymnasts, but it was never a gimme until the last few Olympics for the U.S. to win gold. Should we be a little bit more excited about the silver medal won today by those gymnasts that remain before we even get to Biles? I feel like they're not getting their due for what they did today. (laughs) I agree. I am a big advocate of being so excited and so proud of these athletes that even just became Olympians. I mean, this is an amazing thing. They're they're the best of the best. And to go out and win a silver medal, especially with some adversity along the way, it, it really is incredible. And these athletes really should be um, celebrated for what they did today. Shannon, do you remember any specific moment for you where it really set in the pressure of the moment that you were in being at the Olympics and knowing what everybody expected from those teams? There was. I think, you know, I, I think there were several times throughout my career and I was very uh, thankful to have people around me that really reminded me that, hey, gymnastics is for fun. This is not life. And 
your uh, you know your your person doesn't have anything to do with how many medals you have. But uh, after I, <laughs> I was competing at the '96 Olympics, we started off with with this great gold medal for the women's team. I stumbled a little bit in the all around, and I landed right on my backside during the vault final. I mean, just splat. And I remember speaking to my mom that night. I had one event coming back up. I had balance beam, the most feared event <laughs> for gymnasts. And I remember her stopping at one point and saying, hey, you've done the work. You've done the routines. You've done the other competitions. You've done everything you could possibly do up to this point to get it right. You can hold your head high, confident in the fact that you've done the work. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But you can always be proud of the fact that you did the work. And I think that released the pressure for me. So I went into the balance beam final, just ready to enjoy the moment. It's Spain and Fitz. We're talking to Shannon Miller, incredible former Olympic gymnast, uh, the only female athlete in the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, inducted twice as an individual mm. and part of a team. You know, one of the things that we've always sort of associated with Olympic gymnastics or elite gymnastics is the hardline stance from coaches, is the sort of severe approach. And one of the things I loved hearing about from Simone Biles when she opened up her own gym and was able to approach the sport differently in recent years was that it seemed more fun and that the, the women who got to go compete with her and girls got to compete with her were approaching it a bit differently. Are you surprised at all about what she said today about it? Just we're not having enough fun. Um, I think those are probably two different things, and, and probably there's different pressures along the way. And, and every individual athlete is different, and every coach is different. And I, you know, I think it's important that we know there's some great coaches out there. I mean, I feel like I had a really positive experience. Not that every day was a piece of cake, but I had a really good experience. And I think there are many athletes that do. And unfortunately, not every athlete does. And we want to make it that way. But that doesn't mean that there's no pressure, especially with someone like Simone Biles that has so many high expectations going into the games. Uh, when you're, you know, you refer to as the GOAT, when you <laughs> when you mm-hmm. have all eyes on you. And I think um, I, I probably got to compete in a day where, you know, there wasn't social media. Uh, there, it was a long time ago. They barely had internet. So right. you didn't get the, the 24-7 messaging that, uh, hey, we're all counting on you. And so I think that does kind of play a part over time. And, and it's hard to tune that out. It's, it's a challenge. Shannon, anytime we see a team with somebody that's a superstar, a great, a household name, uh, we realize that that's the person that really carries that team. Give me your impressions of the rest of the women's team and how they came through in this moment after Simone had to withdraw. Well, I just I can't say enough uh, great things about this team. Uh, the entire team is incredible. And to have someone on your team, a teammate, um, especially someone like Simone Biles, who is who's kind of set to carry the team, withdraw and withdraw at the beginning and the early stages of a competition. All of a sudden, athletes are going to be thrust into the uh, to the lineup that we're not necessarily expecting to compete that night. So they may or may not have warmed up those events. They have likely prepared. I mean, they all train all the events, but it's, it's something where you've got to step up. And these girls did. Uh, Sunisa Lee <laughs> stepped up in a big way. Jordan Childs, Grace McCallum, every one of them went out and they fought and competed their heart out. And they absolutely won that silver medal. Shannon Miller, part of that 96 Magnificent Seven, helping the U.S. win their first ever team gold uh, and capturing gold on the balance beam there, is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. 
You know, I heard um, Ali Raisman today, this morning, talking about um, sort of losing yourself in the air or getting lost in the air and how it's not that uncommon. It's something that gymnasts talk about. But it has been rare to see Simone Biles um, have those those little slip-ups. We did see it at the trials, and we saw it in qualifying. So were those signs that maybe we ignored because she is so great that we figured, well, she'll put it together when it really matters? Well, I think, you know, Simone knows herself and, and her coaches know her daily training better than anyone else. So really they're in charge of kind of uh, all of that. But it's absolutely true. I don't know that there's any gymnast out there, whatever level you are, that hasn't been through what we call a mental block or losing themselves in, in the middle of a twist or a skill. What's very good about this situation is Simone understood and knew that this is dangerous and that if she's not in the right headspace to perform these extremely, some of the most difficult moves in the entire world, flying 10, 15 (laughs) feet above the ground, you better know where you are or disaster is going to happen. And to have the wherewithal to say, you know what, this is not going to happen tonight. This is not a good place for me to be. Um, I think that's a really important thing to have that uh, that body awareness. At the same time, Shannon, you never forget sort of your last moments for any of us in a career, right? So, you know, for all that she's accomplished, this is still going to be in Simone's head moving forward. Like, what's next for her in your mind? Well, I think at this point, uh, what you have to do as an athlete is clear your mind. Stop worrying about what other people think. And I know that's so hard to do because we all care. We all want to do well. We want to represent our country well. And uh, we want to hit our routines that we've trained thousands, if not millions of times. But you really have to clear your head and say, okay, it doesn't matter what happened. I can think about that later. It's what happens next that matters most. And that is kind of that whole idea of getting back up after a fall or a mistake. And it's something we do over and over as a gymnast. I think oftentimes we think of those gold medal moments, but we forget about the thousands of times that we fell and failed along the way. Shannon Miller's with us here on Spain and Fitz. Yeah, somebody said to me on social media earlier today, seems like it'd be pretty short if she was gone for a day or two and then came back to compete as an individual. And as I thought about it, I said, first, of course, not if you're well-versed in mental health and how it can manifest itself, it can come and go, but also the weight off of her shoulders after this. She's sort of lost perfection, and not in a bad way. It's just any idea that she might show up and be the best at everything all the time is already gone. And maybe it's easier to go have some fun now because any mistake she might make would affect her and not take down the larger team, which was a huge reason that she decided to pull out of today's competition was in case she wasn't able to do what she needed to do. She didn't want to affect the rest of the team. Do you see that as a possibility that she can approach this very differently now after today's events? Oh, I always have trouble hypothesizing, right. especially in someone else's right. uh, world and their situation. But, but from my own experience, yes, the team competition is the main event. That is where people are relying on you. You're going out there. You are part of a team. You're not competing just for yourself. And, and so that is that added pressure of, man, if I'm going to fall, please don't let it be during the team competition. And, uh, and so there is something to be said for maybe some of that pressure being uh, released to where she can go into individual events. And as you said, um, it, it's, it's really just kind of her. And if, and if she does well, great. And if she doesn't, no problem. It's, if she's not affecting uh, a larger team. And so maybe that will help and just kind of release that pressure. I, for one, hope that 
well, one, that she does what's best for her. Um, but that being said, I hope that she is able to uh, come back to the competition on her own terms and be able yeah. to compete because I know that she'll want to remember that. I agree. Hey, Shannon, thanks so much for the insight. Really appreciate it. And thanks for all the entertainment. Uh, we, we all really, really, really uh, got a lot of good times out of watching you dominate. We appreciate it. <laughs> Total honor to talk to you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Shannon Miller, the great Shannon Miller with us here on Spain and Fitz, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Oh, my. Fitz, were you as into gymnastics back in the day? I mean, I was glued. Yeah, the Olympics have been, like, such a huge thing for so yeah. long. Those teams, like, yeah, no, that, 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 one's, that was spectacular. Good, good work by by Team Spain and Fitz and Stosh and everybody getting Shannon on here. Getting that, getting that. Hey, speaking of the Olympics, uh, someone tried to bite someone today at the Olympics. We'll get into (laughs) it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There's a lot of good stories in the Olympics, and we are absolutely going to get to some of them, but we are not going to start with one. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. A dude tried to bite another dude in Olympic boxing. I don't know if I'm going to get all these names right. I apologize if I don't. But Eunice Bala tried to bite New Zealand's David Naika. Uh, Eunice is from Morocco. And he got him into a hold, went for his ear. And unfortunately for the New Zealander, he emerged unscathed. And his quote to Sky Sport after the bout was, he tried to bite my cheekbone but luckily, it was a little bit slippery. He probably got a mouthful of sweat. He also had his mouth guard in, so no broken skin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like, look, first of all, anything for a, for a medal, right? Like, so I, I guess, you know, there's a... Mo- no, if you're at the Olympics, not, no, maybe you just biting. try. Like, no, nobody, There's nobody. No, okay. no Second, there's rules. You, like, that first name again is, is Eunice? Is that what, is that, that's what Y-O-U-N-E-S-S. we think? Y-O-U-N-E-S-S. Well, my like great Eunice? aunt was named Eunice, so I'm really gonna <laughs> like now all I'm gonna spelling. think of is my great aunt. Like, oh yeah, my great aunt, like at Wall Drug in South Dakota, just going after somebody for the donuts and the free water, trying to bite their cheek. That's what I'm, all I'm thinking about think is about. having the mouth guard in is kind of like when people punch other hockey players and they have their helmets on still. They're like, yeah, what are we doing here? Fine. There's something in the way uh, that's gonna prevent you from the desired result. And biting someone with a mouth guard in. Uh, you're not just you're not gonna be able to get get a hunk of flesh, which is Maybe a good just news. Like sending a message, it's sending a hey, don't make <laughs> me take this mouth guard you. out and it's then bite you. Mouth guard yeah, wasn't that. here. Uh, thankfully, the New Zealander who was on the uh, bitee end of this, not the bite her, ended up uh, taking the win via unanimous decision. Uh, but uh, don't do that, people. Let's let's get to a better uh, better story. It's Spain and Fitz. Uh, I talked about this very briefly on Around the Horn today, but this is just incredible, and I don't think I remember seeing this. Back in the last Olympics, but there is a Syrian swimmer, Yusra Mardini, and she is in her second Olympics competing for the refugee Olympic team. And when she was a teenager, she and her sister escaped from the Syrian capital of Damascus uh, and swam away. So before there had been uh, any war in Syria, she was a competitive swimmer, had been in a couple international competitions, and they tried to leave the area in a boat, an inflatable raft, and the engine died, requiring her to swim roughly three hours, pulling the inflatable boat with her sister on it to safety. And 
She is now the a, a second time Olympian, and she was a third place in the heat in her butterfly race, but uh, didn't move forward because she didn't qualify. Um, but she's also wanting to tell her story and talk about uh, refugees and and what they're what they're seeking in in the safety and opportunity of other countries. It's just incredible fits, and and not just competing as a as a refugee. Minus, you know, any affiliation to country, but the fact that the swimming skill that she had cultivated helped lead her to freedom and safety and her sister, and that she now turns that into, you know, Olympic success. It's just one of the stories that you want to highlight when it's so easy to just criticize what's going on over there. I also think, Sarah, you know me, I'm I'm always sort of armed with a smart-ass comment to make about (laughs) almost everything. There are certain times that we have to just step back and understand the backstory, the sacrifice, the life that mm-hmm. so many Olympians live in the countries that they're from and the diverse cultures, the diverse backgrounds, the diverse fight that so many have had to go through just to get the opportunity to compete. That, I think, is is not only one of the, the coolest parts of the Olympics when you hear the stories, but it's also one of the most eye-opening parts that, that always makes me step back and feel really particularly thankful for the life that I've been able to live in and the place that I've been able to call home, but also makes you globally aware of how much of a fight it is for so many people just to live every day. And that's just it's stunning when you see these athletes competing and you realize what went on the line just to be able to live, to, to, to get the opportunity to compete. It, it, yeah. It's the, the part where you realize how small the Olympics are. Completely agree. And Jess Mendoza was on with me last Friday talking about how one of her favorite parts of the Olympics was sitting down in the village and talking to people from different countries. And one Olympics that she was there, we had just begun the war in Iraq and she sat down with some Iraqi athletes to talk about what it was like for them to be on the other side of that. Um, it's pretty powerful stuff. And also, you know, I'm here for the patriotism. I, I, you could save the jingoistic nature of how we root for America, but the patriotism is patriotism is fine. Being proud of, of how great we can be, but I'm more impressed, especially when I watch something like the opening ceremonies and see the countries that have two or three athletes and imagine how they managed to, to get there. Maybe the resources that they had to fight for, um, you know, having been somewhere like uh, uh, Tanzania or Tanzania, as they call it, um, you know, I, I, of course, only went to a couple different areas of, of, of that country. But it's just a different place to imagine training for the Olympics and trying to be the one of the world's greats. And so it's a great point by you that we're reminded sort of that not everyone grows up, gets a coach, goes to an elite training center, <laughs> trains, gets a sponsorship and then goes to the Olympics. Right. There's a lot of paths that got people to these to these uh, abilities to compete and the fi- and the the common thread that comes through all of it i mean as you were talking there i was thinking about how i'm the first to admit i've had such a lucky life as, as hard as i've worked at different times but uh, such a lucky life to get to see a lot of the world but when i was traveling for music the common thread for everybody was music. So we would sit on a tour bus in Norway or Sweden with locals that were helping like load the gear and, and get everything going from place to place. And it was always interesting just to sit on the bus and have that conversation about what influenced them, where they got, how they got there, you know, sort of the music that they've made and, and the way that they've lived growing up. It, I can't imagine being in the Olympic Village and having this common thread of, hey, we're all competing in this one sport. But the way we got here is so different in our Choose Your Own Adventure book that it, it's got to be eye-opening for everybody to say, I can't believe that I've had the opportunity to make this common thread with somebody from halfway around the world. It's so different than I am. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Also a couple new 
things in the Olympics that I haven't gotten a chance to watch a ton of. My DVR is full and my time is low, but I'm going to get to them. And one of them is the surfing, right? 22 years from some of these surf lovers working to get it added to the Olympics. At least one of the big proponents of it says it took him about 22 years of his life act, act, you know, advocating for the addition of it. So, you know, the idea that there was this moment for everybody to say we got to be a part of it the first time it was in there. And a U.S. woman won gold in the surfing. You love to see it. And the same goes for a lot of the competitors in the skateboarding, right? Fits to be a part of the very first time something is being competed out there. And in both of those sports, I think a lot of the sort of extreme sports or X game or that kind of vibe definitely feels like there's a camaraderie and a connection. And remember, we talked to Mariah Dunn and she said, you know, everyone's really, you got to do well by yourself. And then you root for everybody else to nail what they're doing. And everybody's in it to just be rad, I think is probably what she said. Uh, But it was really fun to watch a couple of those sports get to make their debut. Yeah, and the only problem is I can't figure out how anything anywhere is ever scored. Like, at least I have some basis Use of, the like, internet, man. It's all I mean, it's everywhere for you. I'm trying, but, like, then you're watching it and you're like, I don't know, was that good? Was that bad? It looked kind of cool. And then they're like, ah, that was lame. I mean, it, like, it, it, <laughs> I'm lost on some of this stuff as I'm watching it, trying to figure out how they're scoring and, and what gets what. Like, you know, I, I just, that's, at least there's some comfort in watching gymnastics because you know, all right, they stepped out of bounds. I get how that works. Like, I understand it. <laughs> I'm I'm an idiot. I need these things like spelled out for me. It's like my very first job at at Fox Sports Net when I was just out of college and I had to sit and and log NASCAR races and try to figure out what was important and why and what's drafting and are they just turning and and racing fast? What's happening here? Uh, (laughs) So we all have to have those moments with various sports at various times. You'll learn a little more patience. Speaking of learning, we're all learning how to deal with mental health in sports, and we got another lesson today from one of the greatest of all time. It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'll be the first to admit, sometimes my brain is wired wrong. Something Sometimes it's impossible for me to make things simple. And when I see certain things, I can't help but ask the same questions. How did we get here? What's it mean? And how do we get better? That's what I found myself asking this morning as we have breaking news that rocked the Olympics regarding Simone Biles. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we've been talking tonight a lot about the biggest story in all of sports today, which is about... About the GOAT, Simone Biles, and the fact that after one event with the women's team, uh, she pulled out w- for mental health reasons. And, you know, there's a there's several layers to this, uh, not the least of which is the harm she could be putting herself in by even trying some of this when she doesn't have her normal level of focus, trying to navigate the pressures that are on her, uh, not just with the Olympics, but also with the branding, also from you know the broadcast partners, from the sponsors, from the team itself. She admitted in an interview the other day that she felt like she had had to be here uh, as a voice of, of the Larry Nassar victims so that these things aren't just forgotten. You take all of these different elements, and Sarah, I found myself looking at it saying, how did we manage to squash the spirit of a tremendous athlete to this level, and what are we going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again? This is not a simple 
conversation for Simone Biles because for all of her greatness, you still have to understand that the human being is incredibly impacted by all of the outside pressure that comes to this, and it causes this sort of a mental moment for her. And in today's world, we're more in tune to whatever to it than ever. We're trying to get better at handling it than ever. But I also think we have to be looking at it and asking ourselves if we're putting all of the right systems in place to help athletes in these moments make sure that they can handle all of the things that are being thrown at them. I completely agree. And we're on a better path now that we're having more vocal conversations about that. And I do hope, like Shannon Miller said earlier on the show, whatever's best for Simone happens. But I would love to see her be able to come back and compete in the all around in the individual and have her Olympic experience end on a better note than what she felt today. The shaking that she felt between uh, working out in the morning and the competition later. Um, And, you know, she did mention that Naomi Osaka being open and talking about things had made it easier for her. Well, now she's inspiring that because Robin Leonard, the, the NHL player, wrote on Twitter, Hi, my name is Robin Leonard and I'm bipolar 1 and have PTSD. I take medicine and I have a psychiatrist that I talk to once a week. I'm in the NHL program and on top of that, I fought tough as hell to be here. I fought through hell to be here and I'm pretty good at stopping pucks. Not perfect. Bless you all. Tony Rialli shared his own, uh, uh, you know, battle with mental health. Hi, I'm Tony Rialli. I'm a TV host, sports yapper, dad in the neighborhood, Uncle Tony. I have generalized anxiety disorder. I take medicine and I benefited greatly from talk therapy. Mental health is simply health. There are people all over now sharing their own experiences, trying to make it less stigmatized. And that's the benefit of what Simone did. Not just that, but in the immediate was her protecting her team from from failing because she she didn't compete well. She she came in. She didn't feel right. Her mentals weren't right. She had a terrible vault, and she put them behind the eight ball immediately upon com- competition. And Alyssa Ronick, ESPN senior writer, who's been covering Simone in gymnastics for years, talked to Janae Engel Jr. about just that. I can't imagine the disappointment. Knowing, knowing Simone, she was incredibly disappointed in herself. But she hid that away. She put on a smile, and she coached her teammates. She cheered them on. She was running the chalk box to them between rotations on, on, on even bars. I mean, she really was everything her teammates needed once she realized she could not compete. And, and her teammates said, I mean, Jordan Child said afterwards, we won this for her. We did this because of her. Most of us, Jordan especially, would not be here if not for her support and guidance. You know, she brought Jordan to her gym when Jordan was ready to quit the sport. You know, what Simone has meant to the sport and to her teammates goes so far beyond just that couple of hours on Tuesday morning. Sarah, I think one of the things that hits me when I hear that and you you think about the teammates is the conversation about locker rooms and what teammates think and who's letting who's down, who down is so often rooted in the mindset of a fan. And we've talked a lot about this off air, too. One of the things that continually hits me as I talk to more and more people that play any of the professional sports is how much understanding and compassion and, and frankly, uh, real talk there is from athletes and former athletes to each other about what they're going through and and the the trials and tribulations. There seems to be this concept that, you know, the team is going to feel in any way let down, which hasn't been echoed by anybody that's actually on the team. Like there doesn't (laughs) seem, I I don't know at what point everybody wakes up and realizes that whatever we think a locker, and I don't mean we, you and I, but whatever many of the people that speak for what locker rooms are like, I, I, I don't know how many people they're talking to that are in that current environment because I, I find most of the players that I'm talking to in general to be incredibly understanding and incredibly open, especially to mental health conversations. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Yeah, it, it's, 
it's often the insecurities of others that project onto people with mental health issues that it is a weakness instead of a strength to talk about it, to address it, to overcome it, and to accomplish as much as, as she has and as much as she did today. Because again, this was not about selfishness over team. This was looking around and saying, I am not serving my team. Not to mention, can I remind you again, what she's doing is incredibly dangerous. To, to compete if she was having a panic attack or anxiety or in any way was unable to focus and knew she couldn't do it, she could put herself in grave danger and affect the team's ability to go. And she, she talked about a lot of that today in the press. So here's just a little bit more on how she arrived at the decision to sit out. Today has been really stressful. We had a workout this morning. Um, it went okay. And then just that five and a half hour wait or something, I was just like shaking, could barely nap. I've just never felt like this going into a competition before. And I tried to go out here and have fun and warm up in the back went a little bit better. But then once I came out here, I was like, no, mental is not there. So I just need to let the girls do it and focus on myself. And let me remind you, this is someone who has won everything ever. I mean, she, she's won everything ever. Yeah. She's been amazing every time she needed to be. She's the most decorated gymnast ever, universally believed to be the greatest of all time, and at every turn has shown up and crushed it. She just said, I have never felt this way before in gymnastics. I couldn't do it. So why would the response to that be anything other than, I'm so glad you took care of yourself. I'm so glad you put the team first. I'm so glad you didn't force sport to be more important than what's best for you and your health. And the problem is, Fitz, we, we have these conversations about sport and sometimes even the positive because there needs to be an opposite. And that's something we talked about on Around the Horn t- today. Again, the idea of there always being a goat on the good side means that often we're always looking for the goat on the bad side. Who choked? Who failed? Who couldn't live up to the pressure? And the criticism and judgment of that because we need an opposite to hold up a binary, to hold up to those who always show up in the clutch, to those who always finish and compete. Instead of just celebrating the greatness and then being able to accept that not everyone is going to peak exactly at the moment that they most wish and that their efforts were were the best that they could be, right? And that sounds Pollyanna-ish, and I know we're never going to get there, but we can get a little bit closer. Yeah, and to that point, while it may be Pollyanna-ish, like – that is at the simplest core, like what we should be rooting for from everybody that, that from the athletes we love, we should be rooting for everybody to go out and be the best version of themselves, whatever that might be. Uh, somehow we've gotten a lot of things uh, twisted in the process of what it means to be a fan, whether that's a fan of an individual athlete or a fan of a team. And I'm not always sure what our root of our fandom is. And it's questions that we need to start asking uh, so we can figure out how to all be better. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, obviously, we're going to keep breaking all of this down. But there was some big news in the NHL today. We're going to get you caught up on all of that from one of our favorite experts next on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, we need to get some coverage here on the NHL. Whatever I hear that music, it means I'm getting ready to talk to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com senior NHL writer. Greg, 
really thankful that you were able to join us today because I'm trying to wrap my head around confusion here. Now, I am a lifelong diehard, like, I don't know, four-month uh, Vegas Golden Knights fan. I've decided to, <laughs> you know, embrace this as a Vegas kid. Like, I'm finally, I'm, I'm, I, I opened my heart up. This is what happens for me, Greg. You know, I was like, I'm not just going to be a Preds guy anymore. I'm going to open my heart up and ex- it just expand to all things Vegas since that's where I'm from. I'm embracing the Golden Knights. And then they turn around and they trade Marc-Andre Fleury, which is one thing, but in the process, according to multiple reports, they don't even inform him he's been traded after all of the the work he's put in for the organization. What's going on here? Well, there's a lot to unpack. Now, first of all, you should know that Marc-Andre Fleury was not long for the Vegas Golden Knights. The minute that Robin Lehner, their other goalie, put pen to paper on a five-year contract that uh, is $5 million against the salary cap, which is what he did last year, Flurry was basically going to be out of there at some point. Uh, you combine his salary with Laner's, it's $12 million against the salary cap for your goaltending. That's untenable. The only reason he was still there last year is because Laner was out of, out of commission. Flurry took over the crease, and he winds up winning the Vezina Trophy as the NHL's best goalie. <laughs> but the, 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 the mission was always to get Flurry's contract off the books. He had one more year left with that $7 million cap hit. They tried last offseason. It didn't work. And this time, they basically give them away to the Chicago Blackhawks. And you talked about the expediency of the move and how they didn't even tell him that he was being traded. The Golden Knights say, hey, look, we've been telling them for weeks that something could be coming. They found Chicago, a team that was not on his no-trade list. And there's a theory they tried to push this thing through so that Fleury and his agent, Alan Walsh, you remember, tweeted that picture of Fleury getting impaled by a sword <laughs> during the playoffs <laughs> last year, uh, didn't have a chance to kind of muck up the works. They could just uh, push this thing through as fast as possible. So that's my question, I guess. If we heard that Fleury never wanted to play elsewhere, that this was where he wanted to finish, but we knew that it was a sort of untenable situation, why would the Blackhawks make the deal? Why would either team make the deal without consulting with him first? Because now I'm hearing he might just retire over playing in Chicago. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I don't quite know the answer from the Chicago side. There's a lot about the Chicago side that's very puzzling about this. Like, yeah. for example, why you wouldn't have Vegas pick up some of the salary cap hit. Um, you know, there's a lot of that going on in the NHL because the salary cap has been flat for the last couple of seasons and may continue to be because of the pandemic economy. You know, typically if a team trades away a contract they don't want anymore, they're going to kick you a draft pick or something for the trouble. The other thing is if you're Chicago and, and your plans are to try to get Flurry on your roster, well, then you're trying to contend in the West. You just bailed out one of the teams that's going to be standing in your right. way of contending in the West out of a salary cap problem. But I think in asking around today, the, the, the common perception around the league is that if Fleury does not want to play for Chicago and it doesn't sound like he wants to, that there may be the opportunity rather than have him go into early retirement to facilitate a trade for someplace else that he does want to play. Maybe Chicago keeps a portion of the contract. They get something back for, for the effort. So that's on the table too, although I did see some reports out of Pittsburgh, unfortunately, for all the Penguins fans out there, it doesn't seem like that's a match, even though that is the big romantic finish to his career, him going back and reuniting with Sidney Crosby and playing with for the Pittsburgh Penguins again. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com senior NHL writer on Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Stick with perception for a second, because I'm still trying to figure out 
if perception even matters. Like if, if somebody and you make a great point about all the reasons he wasn't going to be long for Vegas, but to not really involve him in the conversation, to have it at least reported that he had no idea what was going on. I mean, to 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 basically blindside somebody. Is there any perception within the league when trades in general are handled this way and players aren't given any sort of communication? Absolutely, but I got to tell you, like over time, the Vegas Golden Knights' reputation has kind of veered in this direction. They came into the league in 2017. They were the darlings of the league. They make the cup final in year one. They're the golden misfits. They're a bunch of cast-offs from around the league that come together and they form a, a championship-caliber team. It was one of the best stories in sports. But gradually over time, they're like, they're like that buddy you had back home who all of a sudden gets a job at the bank and starts wearing a tie. You know, like now, now all of a sudden they're all business. You know, they, they traded away Nate Schmidt, who was one of the original Golden Knights, actually created the fun committee for the team in the bubble <laughs> in Edmonton during the playoffs last summer, traded him to Vancouver, got rid of Paul Stasny, a, a, a veteran uh, that was well-liked because of the salary cap. Gradually over time, this team started to morph from being the fun-loving group to being a, an all-business, by any means necessary, win the Stanley Cup kind of team. And I think they're their treatment of Flurry in this situation, not only with the trade today, but in the, in the previous year when they, you know, they took the starting job basically away from him by acquiring Robin Lehner. I think it speaks to that change in attitude and, and word is out about what the Golden Knights are, you know, five years into their existence. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com senior NHL writer. In better news, Alex Ovechkin surprised no one by signing a deal to return to the Capitals. Five years, $47.5 million. This, uh, uh, what's the most interesting part about this? Because it seemed inevitable that he would stick around in D.C. Five years. Um, and, and kind of uh, asking sources around the league in the last week about Ovechkin's contract. Again, like, worst kept secret in hockey that he was going to resign with the Capitals. If it wasn't going to be the Capitals, he was going to go and play in Russia, right? So it, it was an either-or situation. Everybody assumed he was going to go back to the Caps. A lot of people thought it might be three years. A lot of people thought it could be four years. I didn't hear a lot of five years. So that was a bit of a surprise as far as the contract coming down. But, you know, it's funny. When, when a veteran player signs for more than market value, and even though Ovechkin puts a lot of goals on the board, I think that you probably could have, you know, for a player his age, gone a little bit lower on the, on the, on the average annual value, maybe like $8 million, 8.5, something like that. You talk about, like, paying a guy for his previous accomplishments, and sometimes that's a nasty thing to do in hockey. But this guy's previous accomplishments is being arguably the best goal scorer of all time, if you adjust for era, and probably making the Washington Capitals franchise since 2005 like a billion dollars. <laughs> so I'm completely fine with the contract that they handed this guy, even though it's a little bit long, and even though obviously Ovechkin's getting a little long in the tooth. I mean, I think he wanted to stick around long enough for the uh, NWSL ownership parties. You know, ever since he got in, in the Washington spirit, you know, we just we haven't had a chance to hang yet, and he wants to make sure we got a handful of years of a good rivalry with the Red Stars. Absolutely. I mean, that might be right there with breaking Wayne Gretzky's all-time goals record. Like it's, yep. it's like neck it's and neck his for motivation sure. to come back. One hundred. Um, but yeah, I mean, the bottom line is that I think he has to average for the length, the length of his contract thirty-three goals per season. Uh, to catch and pass Gretzky. Oof. I think he does it. I mean, he's incredibly durable. And the other thing about Ovechkin, too, as far as his goal-scoring record goes, is he's not a guy that has to rely on scoring at five-on-five. Five. His expertise, obviously, is on the power play, shooting the puck from the same spot over and over. Nobody can stop it. 
So because it's not going to rely solely on mobility and agility and all the things that start leaving you as you get older as a player, I think he's got a legit shot at setting the record during this contract. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at Wyshynski. Greg, we appreciate your insight. I'm just going to find other teams to root for just to, because it seems to rip the fiber of any success away from franchises. That's what happens when I become a fan. Thanks for the, uh, thanks for the insight, my friend. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sarah, I can't have nice things. Like, all I want, you know, is an organization that doesn't – they don't even have to win. I just want an organization that doesn't give me texts. Like, I want—I I don't want to get texts from my friends saying, what is this team doing? And that's what happened. <laughs> I, like, I'm still in the dating stage with the Vegas thing on the Golden mm-hmm. Knights, and then we get this. Like, I don't I, yeah. I don't know. I might have Everybody to Everybody sends their best representative at the beginning. No, man. I mean, but if, if, if she's already a little crazy and we're just in the dating stage, like, I'm, <laughs> I can't Why she got to be a she? Why she got to be a she? Well, because it's my phone that's called. Uh, I mean, uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, I can't fix her. I can't fix crazy. I'm already doing that with the Raiders. I can't do that with the Golden Knights at the same time. All right. We're going to get some more insights coming up from a seven-time Olympic medalist. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and hanging out with you on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, seven-time Olympic medalist swimmer, a four-time Olympian, and two-time gold medalist, Amanda Beard. Uh, joining us on behalf of Sherabundi Tart Cherry Juice. Amanda, great day to end up having you on because you are someone who has spoken so much over the course of your career about athlete mental health, your own struggles with depression, substance abuse, and bulimia. And I wonder, as you look at Naomi Osaka openly talking about mental health, at Simone Biles today actively removing herself from competition and saying she would, you know, it would be better for her team to step away and hopefully she can return to individuals. Do you feel like they're in a different place than you were as an athlete trying to speak about or have people understand the challenges that are both mental and physical for elite athletes? Well, I hope so, because then that means that we're doing a good job of um, getting our voices heard and, and people really standing up for themselves and making sure that they're living a healthy life. And, um, you know, although the Olympics are huge and you want to be on that podium and, um, you know, celebrating and bringing home medals to your country, um, priority is your, your mental health and your well-being, right? And making sure that for the rest of your life, you're living a wonderful life and, you know, being able to, you know, stand up for yourself in the moments when you're just, you are not feeling good. Amanda, with that being said, what processes are put in place to help Olympians deal with the mental stress? You know, um, probably not as much as we need or, or for anyone in that matter um, in any you know instance in life. Uh, the biggest thing that uh, athletes can do for themselves is find a really good support team around them. Because even with that, I, I felt really... Um, I, I was lucky. I had wonderful parents who didn't put a lot of pressure on me. My coaches were awesome. They didn't put extra pressure on me or stress me out. And even even with all of that surrounding me, it was still, um, it was a lot to take on and to kind of constantly check myself. And, and you know, especially in those moments, I really just felt like um, I had train, 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 train. I can't miss a practice. If I miss a practice, I'm going to get in huge trouble. Um, so, you know, ha- probably having more, um, you know, of those people around you really to like kind of vent to and soundboards and help guide you. A lot of these athletes that if you're watching Olympics are really young. And so they don't know how to manage their emotions and their feelings necessarily. I didn't at that age. 
Um, so they need that, that guidance. They need people to kind of help them navigate through, um, through everything, you know, the ups and the downs of what the Olympics can be. Olympic swimming great Amanda Beard is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You mentioned the age. Your first Olympics, you were 14. You were, you know, often with the teddy bear, even on the medal stand. And it kind of was a reminder to people of this incredible pressure. And sometimes it's almost easier when you're young enough to not overthink it. But there is then the added. Right. But then there is the pressure of it with each time you return. Can you replicate the success you had when you were younger? And the older you get as the window closes, I was uh, thinking about this as I was watching daily in this in the synchronized diving who had been spending, you know, this, this past 15 plus years attending Olympics, looking for gold and finally getting it. But, you know, it's even a different moment now for someone competing at that age than when you were there because you add in social media and especially for someone like Osaka or Biles or Megan Rapino, you have people from your own country now actively rooting against you because of social issues you've taken a stand on because of their ability via social media to reach out and, and criticize you over things that they don't agree with. Do you imagine that it's a really different experience for these athletes going to the Olympics now than back when you were, were competing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, I remember having, you know, struggling, like I'd open up a newspaper and read, you know, something that was negative about me. But, you know, that'd be once a blue moon. This is a daily occurrence, you know, with social media being so accessible for people to reach out and say positive things and negative things. And unfortunately, the negative things are what really sticks with us. Um, we totally brush off all that positivity and and like, oh, yeah, 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 but that negativity just sticks with us, and it's too easy um, for people to, to spew that negativity. And I don't always, you know, you can disagree with anything that someone um, says or their beliefs, but that doesn't give you the right to be negative or treat them a different way. Um, and that's just, I, you know, I have two young kiddos. They both play sports, and it makes me nervous for them to grow up with um you know, the different social media platforms and people being able to just kind of type away and say whatever they want and then just kind of have those that effect uh, really kind of linger on anyone on everyone. It's um, I'm <laughs> I'm happy that I didn't have to deal with that. It still was really difficult for me, but now I can't even imagine how these athletes have to really kind of have that thick skin. And now is more important than ever to really take care of yourself. I think it's interesting, Amanda, you talk about, you know, your kids and, and sort of where everything is in the world. I, I've been trying to help some swimming programs across the country save themselves right now. And, and we have all eyes on swimming and diving in the Olympics because we do every four years. But, you know, it was funny talking to some people and just telling them when I was talking to you and, and hearing that they had Speedo posters of you on their wall. What's mm -hmm. the future of swimming look like to you <laughs> when you talk about the U.S. and where we're headed? Oh, man. Well, I hate, I always, I just get so sad when I hear about um, universities, you know, getting rid of their swimming programs or in the communities, just not being able to fund and keep the pools open and then programs disappear and it becoming harder and harder for us to have these wonderful programs for athletes to, um, to participate in. I mean, it's something that we deal with in our own community here. And uh, I'm in Washington State. We just, we don't have a lot of pools. So we're not, you know, we don't have the opportunity to give the gift of being on a swim team to all these 
young kiddos who might have Olympic dreams, but they're not going to get the access to the pool to even see if they can fulfill those Olympic dreams. So um, I hope that um, in the future that we can reprioritize the importance of sports in our youth and how, how great it is for them and our communities can really rise and, and build these wonderful complexes for, for all the different sports and for, so that kids can really experience anything. And we're going to just have these amazing little athletes uh, dominating the podiums and just creating really health of active, um, you know, youth that grow up to be healthy, active adults. Amanda Beard is with us here, seven time Olympic medalist. Uh, talking on behalf of Cherubundi Tart Cherry Juice, one of the recovery methods and benefits for athlete recovery. You know, as someone who's been very focused on that for your life as an athlete and as an elite performer, I, I wonder, you know, when you see the schedules for someone like Katie Ledecky, 11 a.m. and then 9 p.m. for some of these races, does that seem <laughs> odd to you? And how, as an athlete, do you get your mind and your body right for that? Oh, my goodness, right? So... That's just adding a whole nother level of, you know, just kind of having to, to prepare for yourself uh, for all of those things, making sure that you're getting proper rest, um, that your diet is dialed in. Um, and that's not easy to do. You know, you have to really prioritize those things. And so, you know, not socializing and hanging out and um, with all your fellow Olympians and making sure, hey, I have a bedtime because I need to be <laughs> up. I need to be competing. I'm going to be up late, 9 p.m., I mean, that means by the time you're done with your race, going to media, doing your drug testing, um, and then if you're on a high like I am when I'm done competing, it's going to take a while for you to come down for that. So really, you know, narrowing in and having your priority set as far as what your diet and nutrition looks like as well. Yeah, it's so important. It, and not that we need to say it for most, but for the few who might not get it, balancing all of those things and trying to make yourself peak on the one day every four or five years that you most need to be your best and get everything going at the exact right moment is just so difficult. So these athletes deserve an incredible amount of respect, uh, no matter how they finish. Amanda, thanks so much for the time. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Enjoy watching all the Olympic races. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It was a big day in Olympic news, Fitz. And it had me thinking as we were reacting to Simone Biles this morning. So I started out my morning by trying to watch the Olympic women's soccer match without looking at my phone. I turned my notifications off. I wanted to watch it without any spoilers. So by the time I turned off that and had to, you know, get hop on a call for around the horn and highly questionable and actually get my workday started, that Simone Biles stuff was hitting. And I've been trying to watch a lot of stuff in prime time because I just can't stay up till 3.30 and then work all day and night. And uh, this was a particular problem that can happen if something is so news-breaking that it can't be held until you can present it in the primetime hours. Yeah, and, and there's no win here, right, uh, for for anybody in holding the news because in a Twitter world, like, let's face it, we see it, so many people are talking about it, and then you immediately flip to the TV channels to see what they're saying about it. This is sort of worst-case scenario for NBC and you know, realistically, when you're talking about just think about if we all knew uh, about, you know, an injury or a play in the Super Bowl happening 12 hours before, would we wait to watch it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point, well, you know, everybody is probably aware of how this plays out tonight. And that's a that's 
an unfortunate thing because we've heard so much about the ratings and everybody always talks about that with all of us for everything we broadcast. This is sort of the worst case scenario for the Olympics moving forward to have something as landmark as the women's gymnastic team impacted this way is something that nobody could have anticipated. I agree with you, although I will say I heard an interesting conversation the other day about how much we talk about ratings to to not really any particular end, especially as we continue to divvy up the marketplace from streaming to online to all the different. It's just harder to use that specific number or any specific ratings number to dictate whether something is successful, particularly in terms of the money that will be made by it. Um, Those rights just keep going up, regardless of whatever narrative people try to tell with the rating story. But I agree with you. It makes things difficult. You you mentioned the Super Bowl. I've told this story before, so I won't tell it in detail, but I was supposed to be um, going to, I think, a Super Bowl in person, and then it, I, my ticket fell through, so I just, okay, I'm going to fly home and go to a Super Bowl party, and then there was dust in Arizona, and there was snow in Chicago, and I got delayed so long that I wore my headphones on the train home, through the lobby, didn't even look at my doorman just in case he might say something upstairs while my husband and everyone stayed at the party. And I started the Super Bowl from the beginning at like 10 p.m. to watch the whole thing straight. And it was the Seahawks passing at the goal line. And can you imagine if I hadn't waited and watched it all, how much that entire game would have been ruined for me? And instead, I sat there hours later watching like, oh, my, they passed it. That's and that's funny because the the only year that the Raiders have been good in the last what seventeen years was the year that I started with ESPNU and I had a Monday show and I had to fly every Sunday and the only oh. flight that would get me to Charlotte no. was during the Raiders game every week so I would do I did the same thing I actually turned my phone off every Sunday and I would wait until the NFL game pass at like eight eight I think it was eight or nine at night would then put the game on so I would completely shut down from. You know, four Eastern to basically nine o'clock at night Eastern. And then I would sit in a hotel room in Charlotte by myself and just watch the game in its entirety on the NFL Game Pass. Oh, and it's the and, worst because yeah, someone yeah. always, you can't look at your phone at all because someone will always text and be like, tough loss, huh? And you're like, no, I didn't open it. It just showed me the preview. And, and then there's the weirdness of like the the watching the game without the camaraderie of watching the game. Like usually, <laughs> right. especially like the one time, I mean, the Raiders went 12 and four, right? And I didn't really celebrate any of that uh, with anybody in that process. So, which just tells me that I sports, need to man. like, I need to work on Sundays for the Raiders to be good. Like that's the, that's the real <laughs> take home from all that. But I, and, and I will say to your ratings conversation, ratings are something that I, I am a big believer that most of the time it's only somebody that wants to find a reason to to give you that something isn't popular and they point to ratings without context. That's just yes. what ratings have become. Very often the case. Unless sometimes they are used to prove um, a positive gain because of decisions being made in, in terms of programming or, or fair rights fair. deals and all that stuff. And, and th- I mean, I'm not saying they're meaningless. It's just it feels like often we point to them and create this big panic. And so rarely does that result in any meaningful you know, change in terms of rights deals or commercials or sponsors or any of that. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You mentioned the Raiders. We were talking about the NFL. Xavier Howard uh, putting out a well thought out and pretty lengthy post about how he's given his heart and soul to the Dolphins. And he knew that the, the contract that he signed, frankly, he didn't completely understand and didn't co- totally feel comfortable with, but has played on that deal for two seasons without complaining. Now feels like his agent has helped him ask for a couple different things from the Dolphins, like guaranteeing more money, um, things that would be wins that wouldn't be issues for cap space. And the Dolphins have refused everything he's proposed. He doesn't feel like they value him or respect him. And so he is officially demanding a trade. He does say 
Until that trade happens, I'm just here so I don't get fined and will handle myself like professionals do. What do you make of Xavier Howard? And often it is the position of corner that signs a deal and then very quickly finds that they are underpaid. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he points out the things, the concessions that they offered to the Dolphins. Now, I mean, there's obviously multiple sides to every story, but I don't know how you walk this one back. I do know this. We all know the Dolphins have a ton of uh, future draft equity available to them, so I'm not sure what you can get in return for him that would make you feel good about where you are today because realistically, if somebody's going to give up a slew of picks for Xavier Howard, it wouldn't surprise me. It's tough to find a corner at his skill set that can come in and step in and play right now. He makes any team he's on better the day he walks on the field. And so, you know, I I think he'd be a great get for anybody. I'm just not sure what you can give the Dolphins that already have a bounty of, of available draft picks, what you can give in return that would make it worthwhile. And if I'm the Dolphins and I am trading him, I'm getting him as far away as possible. So I'm looking at NFC teams right now so that I don't have to face him because he will, he, he is so good that I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure he stays away from my conference so that it doesn't hurt me <laughs> if I'm trying to get to the playoffs. Spain and Fitz. Don't forget to tune into the That's What She Said podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women's sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. By the way, my podcast this week is with the delightful Brendan Hunt, a.k.a. Coach Beard on Ted Lasso, and it is a lot of fun. I highly recommend listening to it. Um, You mentioned your Raiders. So, of course, I now have the chance to respond in the form of my Bears. And our head coach, Matt Nagy, going to be on KJ&Z tomorrow morning. That should be a fun listen. And, you know, I haven't been as involved as I would like in the local conversation around the Bears and the expectations, in part because I'm really busy with Olympics and all my other jobs, and it's it's a little early to get into some of the issues. But the Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields thing is going hot around these parts, especially because, as one Chicago Tribune uh, author put it, and I, I can't remember who wrote this, but Andy Dalton is the bridge that we never wanted, right? <laughs> like, we didn't ask for him, got nothing against him, but I'm okay with him being someone that's able to step in because the deal was already done. Now, could it have been fools despite his shortcomings? If it's just a stopgap for the guy that you want to see in Justin Fields, that probably would have been a whole lot better than wasting a bunch of money and assets on Andy Dalton, but he's a steady presence. He's a veteran guy and hopefully a guy that can help lead fields, understanding the position that he's in. And I'm sure he is hoping to be the starter, take that one year deal, run with it and be excellent. Um, And Fitz, I don't know how you feel about this in general or what, how you'd feel in my position, but I want Justin Fields to start not only when he's ready, but when he's in a good position And if this team is going to have a crap open uh, offensive line, bad play calling, not enough weapons, if there's anything that could get him in bad habits and start him off in a bad direction, I don't really want that. Um, Not that I want him to sit all season, but I'm not dead set on him starting game one or even game three. Yeah, I I think that's the right logic. I mean, realistically, the win-win here to me, uh, by the way, Matt Nagy is going to be on at 8.40 a.m. Eastern uh, tomorrow morning. The win-win for me for the Bears 
is for Justin Fields to win the job when he's ready. It reminds me of Derek Carr's rookie year. They put money into Matt Schaub. Everybody thought Schaub was going to start till Carr was ready. Carr was great in the preseason, won the job. I mean, that's a great situation for the Bears to be in. I think Fields is obviously going to be spectacular. You know how much I love it. I just don't think it matters if he's in week one or if he's in week six. It matters that he's in when he's ready so that he can be long-term the quarterback right. for a generation. Yeah. It's going to be a constant topic here in Chicago as camps get underway. Uh, and I'll be interested to hear Nagy's statement. We've heard a lot of unnecessary declaratives out of the Bears camp about, you know, who's starting and when. It just seems not. You don't have to say anything. Just wait, right? Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.